The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Take out your copy of God's Word also and turn to Matthew 18. That's where we'll be this morning in God's Word. If you don't have a Bible or you just forgot it, stick up your hand. Our ushers will get it to you. Or if you need some sermon notes, they'll get one of those for you as well. Matthew 18 is on page 481 in those Bibles, if you're looking for it. But it's important that we have scripture in our hands, especially in this portion. I want you to see for yourself in the Bible the things in which God has to say for you. This isn't preaching. A sermon isn't just about my opinions or a pastor's opinions. We want to hear from God's word, don't we? We want to see the truth. I'm just a messenger. I'm subject to the master, and uh, we are opening his word with his message for us. We're continuing in our series this morning, Uncommon Community. Who rules over this community? Who's the master of it? That's right, King Jesus. That's like a Sunday school answer. That was like softball pitch. Y'all just, who's the king of our community? Jesus is, that's right, he rules over it. He's given instructions to those he's called to this community on how to live. This community is unique. It's unlike any other gathering of people in this world. And the way in which we live and treat one another is in common. Because it's uncommon because it's flowing out of the uncommon way in which Jesus himself lived, died, rose again, and loves us his people and this uncommon community is really defined then by numerous new testament commands called the one another's we are made for one another we are to love one another and before us today we forgive one another and across the pages of the scriptures this theme of forgiveness isn't it it's at the core of redemption it's at the core of reconciliation If you were with us over the summer, forgiveness popped up time and time and time again in the book of Genesis through the life of Joseph, and it's in every, uh, across every page of the scriptures. And so it's no surprise then as we come to our new series on common community that we get to tackle it once again. Jesus covers it, and we are now at this parable in Matthew 18 where Jesus tells Peter, his disciple, about what forgiveness means, the extent of it, and to whom we forgive. So turn there, look with me at Matthew 18. We'll pick it up in verse 21 and read to the end of the chapter. Read it here now with me. Listen as I read it. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees and imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. 
And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is a reading of God's word. Beloved, an uncommon community forgives without limit. An uncommon community forgives without limit. If you're taking notes, it's our first point, and it's really the theme of this passage. You've heard me say this before. Our community, our, as believers, we are defined by this very thing. Forgiveness has no limits. And as we pick up in this parable here, don't you love Peter's question? I, just, I, I like his questions all along. He's, he's the guy who's unafraid to ask what everybody's thinking. Right? He's that guy. You know, you've been in a small group, you've been somewhere, and it's like everybody's got the question on their mind, but it's only the one guy that's just like, all right, let's just step into this. I'm just going to throw it out here. Peter is that guy, isn't he? He just asks the question that's on all of our minds, and he just jumps right into it. Jesus has been teaching them, uh, specifically here in chapter 18 alone, but he's been comparing the disciples to kids and to sheep. He, in verse 1 of chapter 18, here he's calling God's people to humility. The first five verses there, he's, they're coming, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus is like, all right, chill out. It's about humility. He's been, he's, he's been calling out our propensity to sin and the drastic action that we have to take to cut sin out of our life. If your eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand's causing you to sin, cut it off. Goes on, he's calling out our tendencies to then stray from the faith. Look at verse 10, he compares us to sheep and we, we, we just have this, as God's children, we just wander away, we forget, we, we, we get distracted and we wander and God in his kindness, he continues to bring us back. He then moves on in verse 15 and he teaches us, the people at the time, he's teaching the disciples there, he's saying, here's how you confront a brother and sister. We know offenses will happen, and he really, he lays out the pattern for reconciliation and for discipline if we continue in our sin. That's what verses 15 to 20 teach us. And Peter takes in all this teaching, just right here in this chapter alone, Peter's taking in all this teaching on sin and offense and all that, and he's like, okay, I got you, Jesus, I hear, but, but how often do I have to forgive? How often does this pattern have to take place? And he thinks he's really being generous because how many times does he, 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 he suggest to Jesus? As many as seven times. Seven times. I mean, that's pretty generous, isn't it? Somebody offends you in the same way over and over, like seven times, that's a pretty big, generous heart. And what he's, what he's playing off of here, you also have to know some of the historical context. In that day, the rabbis taught that it was right to only forgive your brother up to three times. 
Now, they were taking this out of the book of Amos. And uh, in, in Amos, you can read it this afternoon if you want a, a, a good read this afternoon. But it, they talk about how uh, God, he will forgive Israel's enemies up to three times. But on the fourth time, retribution. And so then what the rabbis then said is that's the pattern for how we are to live. I mean, we couldn't outdo God in forgiveness, could we? Well, let me just, let me just as kind of like a commercial break here, let me just warn you of something. Uh, be careful of making uh, doctrines or teachings based on minor, uh, obscure verses in the Old Testament, okay? That's what's going on here. Commercial break. Let me uh, change here real quick. Check, check, check. Hey, there I am. Um, George Whitfield, the preacher in, in the Great Awakening of like the 18th and 19th centuries, like I would go out in open fields and be preaching to crowds of thousands upon thousands, multiple sermons in a day. He must, he must have had a bullhorn of a voice. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't even imagine that. But there are those guys, right, that have just have those big booming voices, walk into a room and just fill the room with their voice. I'm not that guy. <laughs> I need, uh, I need amplification. But let's go back to the text now, Matthew 18, and Jesus' question here, or Jesus' answer to Peter's question, rather. He's, Peter's trying to be generous here, because the, the tradition or the teaching of that time was how many times to forgive your brother? Three times. And so Peter is he's like trying to be generous. He's like, I hear what you're saying. I know that we're, we, we're given to sin. We have these tendencies to stray. We, you know, we live in this community, this uncommon community. And how many times shall I forgive? How about seven? You know, Peter, he's, he's heard all the, this teaching. He knows. He was there at the Sermon on the Mount. He sees how Jesus has been upping the ante. He's been taking the traditions of the time and he's been taking it straight to the heart. And so Peter knows that. But Jesus sees it and he ups his ante even more. Because what is Jesus after? He's after the heart. Of the, he's after the heart, not the equation here. This 77, or maybe your Bible even says 70 times 7, is really meant to, it, it's not about the math equation, it's meant to, to be an infinite amount. It's not as we, though we do 77 or even 490 times, and then you know what? We're good. He's throwing out an outrageous number to Peter to say we forgive without limits. Because here's the reality. We're not typically just one-time offenders, are we? We're not one-time offenders. Like kids, we are repeat offenders as we are learning our lessons, as we are growing in sanctification and community together. It takes multiple lessons, multiple consequences, multiple uh, repeating of the same teachings, abundant forgiveness before kids learn just simple things like why we don't lie, why we are polite, why we don't take other kids' toys. And we are the same. We're a work in progress, aren't we? We're a work in progress, and we realize that the person next to us is also a work in progress, learning how to honor God, how to love one another, and we are repeat offenders. We learn how to tame our tongue, how to exercise self-control, how to be humble, and God just in his kindness has given us the community of believers, the brothers and sisters in our church to help us and forgive without limit as we grow. See, in Peter's question and Jesus answer he's teaching us hey God, guys we can't quit community when we're offended by one another 
We can't quit community. Notice he's, he's referring here specifically to brothers. And so I just want to make a clarification here. Across the pages of scripture, we have other commands about forgiving our enemies, right? This here, he's specifically speaking to brothers and sisters, those that share faith in Christ, those that have been forgiven like yourself. And so we cannot, we cannot quit community when we are offended by one another. Even if you bypass the heart, even if you bypass the, the motive of why we forgive without limit, you have, if it's 490 times, you have about 10 years of going to a small group or being in church and being offended by the same person for the exact same thing every single week, 490 times. That's like 10 years that you get to forgive, even if we're making it about math. But that's not what he's after, is it? He's after the, the heart. James McDonald has a great quote. He often says, there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. You cannot go to the next level. You cannot grow in your community. You cannot grow in your marriage, in your friendship, in your growth in Christ. You cannot grow without forgiveness. An uncommon community is defined by this. But really how? What does this look like? There's the question. Jesus gives the teaching, but then isn't Jesus the master storyteller here? Isn't he the master about giving us this parable about how we forgive without limit? See, you can't forgive without limit until you feel the weight of your debt. Let's go to verse 23 here. Look at it. We just read it, but here's the parable. Jesus takes them and he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is, you're probably kind of familiar with this, right? Kingdom of heaven, Matthew only uses it in his gospel. It's synonymous with the kingdom of God. Uh, it, it's, he's, Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience, and so he's being sensitive to the Jewish listeners who, uh, were, uh, who gave reverence to God in his name. And so he uses it in the book of Matthew. He calls kingdom of heaven, and it really refers to all who are under God's rule. Jesus now God himself rules and reigns over his universal kingdom. There's a spiritual aspect of it that now is manifest in a spiritual sense. God is ruling and reigning over his kingdom. And we await, we await his return when Christ will rule and reign in a literal fulfillment of this. But what this does, what this signals here for us as he makes this parable, what this signals is all who call Jesus Lord, all who call Jesus master or king must live this way. And what does the king do here in the parable? The king is wishing to settle accounts. Now, this is not uncommon. Businesses do it now, right? At the end of the month, what do you do? You Reconcile the books, right? You have quarterly reports. You go and you look at the payments that have been made, the debts that are outstanding, and it was no different really then. The king is going, he's looking at his accounts, and he comes to this one that has this massive debt. 10,000 talents is an incalculable amount. It was always changing, but uh, 10,000 here, really, it's uh, the Greek word myrios, where we get our word myriad. It just means a multitude, a lot, you know, uh, incountable, uncountable, incalculable amount. It was the highest number then in their counting system, 10,000. And a talent was 20 years worth of salary. So calculate what you make now. Do the math. Times it by 20. Then times it by 10,000. That's 200,000 years of salary is the debt that this guy has. It's an unpayable. It's impossible to pay off, right? I mean, who could work for 200,000 years or more to pay off this debt? Nothing is said about how the servant acquires it, 
only what is now required in return to pay it off. The master knows he can't just write a big check, and so what is ordered that he, or what must be given to pay it off? Look at verse 25. He himself, his wife, his children, and all his assets, everything in his name. And was the king unjust to require this? Of course not. Of course not. All the man can do is get on his knees and beg for mercy. He pleads for patience, and he makes a claim he really can't fulfill. He says, have mercy on me. Have, have, have mercy. Be patient. I will pay you everything. You know, it's like one of those, that when you, you hear stories like this, we get in a pickle, we, we, we can't get out of it, and we make these deals with God, right? Make these deals. God, if you would only get me out of it, I will then, you know, do blank. I will live my life for you. I will give everything I own to you. You hear stories like that. That's, in essence, what this guy is doing. And the king, what's his response? He has pity. He has pity. He knows this servant is in, in an impossible spot. And so he releases him. He forgives the obligation of his debt. The king then absorbs the loss, bears the obligation. Beloved, who are we in this story? Are we the king? Are we the servant? We're the servant, aren't we? See, Jesus is answering Peter's question with this parable, but he's answering with the gospel. You know, put your gospel glasses on for a moment and now look at the situation. Where do we stand? We stand as the servant in needing of forgiveness of this massive debt. All of us have committed what R.C. Sproul called cosmic treason against holy God. All of us have attempted to kick God off his throne as his enemies, wanting our way, demanding our rights, demanding our own preferences. And in essence, we have, we have told the God of the universe, it's my way and not your way. And because of this cosmic treason that we have attempted, it requires our life. There's nothing that we can do about it. We can't come to God making some wild claims about what we could do. See, here's the, here's the point. You could tr- serve the church every waking hour of your life for the rest of your life, and you would never earn it. You could give every cent that you earn for, from, for the, your entire life, and you would never be able to pay off the debt that you have earned. But God took Beloved, is the good news. And when we see our sin, when we see our debt, our obligation, we feel the weight of that debt and what it cost. We just cast it at the foot of the cross. Come on our knees before the Lord, feeling the weight that crushes us, (laughs) puts us into a place of humility, and we beg God for patience. And God, in Christ Jesus releases us from the debt, forgives us, and sends us on our way. See, we can't, we can't quit forgiveness. We can't quit repentance. It's not just a one-time act. It's the way that we come to the Father initially. It's how you are saved. If you've not done that, then, then, then today is the day. Do not wait. But it's something that we continue to walk in. We continue to walk in repentance. 
We continue to walk knowing the price that was paid on our behalf. And so we persist in it. This is why God gave us communion. As that perpetual, continual reminder of what happened on our behalf. Of the one who paid the debt with his own life. So that our life wasn't required. It's this continual reminder. We must feel the weight of your debt. And until you, once you feel the weight, once you know the relief of repentance, then you can also, as our parable goes on, then you can also free others of their debt. You can free others of your debt. Look at verse 28. The, the parable takes a tragic turn, doesn't it? The parable takes a tragic turn instead of telling his fellow servants of the king's benevolence, instead of going out and knowing the great mercy that has been bestowed upon him, he finds a guy who owes him 100 denarii. A denarii is a day's wage, so calculate what you make on a day, putting that in, and multiply it out by 100. It's like three months of pay. He finds someone that owns, owes him this. It's a real debt, no doubt. Several thousand dollars, likely. But what does the guy do? He goes crazy. He turns into a UFC fighter. He seizes him. He chokes him. Isn't it? It's like, it's not. And the irony is that the fellow servant responds in almost the exact same words as he just responded back in verse 26. Verse 26 and 29 are almost identical. He falls down. He pleads for payment, patience. He promises to repay. And the forgiven servant, what does he do? He refuses, throws him into prison. The one who's just been released of a massive obligation and turns around, ironically, and doesn't ex extend it in the same way to a fellow servant of a much more minor, though significant, debt. You know, and as, as I was thinking about this, a, a few years ago when we lived over in Kerrville, we had, uh, uh, we had, we had accumulated some debt with the hospital. I had had to have surgery, a hernia surgery, and so, you know, the, all that stuff. And then the calendar year turns, and then your insurance and your deductible and all that stuff uh, after the next calendar year. And then we had Gemma, and we had a C-section, and, well, C-sections, they ain't cheap. And uh, so we had, we had a debt, and we were paying it off. We had a monthly payment plan that was going to take us a while. It wasn't massive, but uh, we were just doing that and somehow it was brought to my attention like at the end of the year that when the calendar year is done the hospital had agreed that if you would uh that they would cut your bill in half whatever was outstanding if you would make a one-time payment so whatever you owed and we owed you know several thousand dollars or whatever and uh and so i was like yes if we can pay 50 no problem sent in the check boom released didn't have to make a payment uh, ever again until we have to go to the hospital again but we were released of our obligation. I was super happy about it. But you know what I did not do? I didn't tell all my friends that also have making payments to the hospital. I didn't go broadcast it. I didn't even put it on Facebook for the, you know, the random algorithms to tell my friends that have, might have a debt with Peterson Regional Memorial Hospital. I didn't tell anybody. I kept this was good news. Others could have been released from their debt. And I, and I held it to myself. Now, I didn't go and choke anybody out. I didn't go kill anybody uh, because of it. But uh, it's, the principle is the same here. I had just been released, freed of my own debt, and I didn't tell anybody else. I did not help. 
And you know what's interesting back in our passage here is that at, the, at these events, what happens in the irony and the hypocrisy is that the other servants go and tell the master. They plead the case of this servant. They know what's happened. And so they go to the master, the king. And of course, the master summons him. Of course, the master calls this man to account. Of course, he's angry at his wickedness for after receiving this kindness. And so what, is it, what does this do? This, the, Jesus' parable here, it's serving as a warning to all who have been forgiven a massive debt that if we fail to forgive one another, we don't truly understand what we have been forgiven of. He's saying, you don't understand the enormity of your offense against God if you can't release someone of their a debt against you, no matter how egregious. So there's a strong warning here as it ends. There's a strong warning. The parable ends, and what, what I find interesting is there's no yeah, but. There's no Peter doesn't come back. It's probably because Peter is speechless. He just like, heard all that uh, Jesus has taught. He ventures out, and then, and then Jesus, you know, Mike drops this parable on him, and he's just like, okay, okay, okay. Um, but I'm sure as you're hearing these commands that we must forgive one another, I'm sure that there are some, well, what about this? And if you do, I look forward to small group this week so we can untangle uh, some of these knots. Really am. But you know what? Now that we've made it through, now that we've seen Jesus teaching on it, here's really how we can define what forgiveness is. There's lots of definitions out there. There's lots of ideas about what forgiveness is. But Jesus has, in this parable here, he has given us uh, the content to be able to define what biblical forgiveness is. When we say, forgive one another, what are we really saying? Forgiveness is this, it's releasing another of their debt against you. When you say, I forgive you, in essence, what you are saying is, I release you. And when you ask for forgiveness, you are asking somebody to release you from the debt that you have created against them by your sin. It's a release. This is different than an apology. An apology is literally a defense of your actions. Forgiveness offers no defense, no excuse. It does not shift blame, but it accepts responsibility for the debt. And it is asking for mercy. It is asking for patience. This is what we do when we come to the Lord. I can't pay off this debt. I know that I have committed cosmic treason. I am asking. I offer no defense. I offer no excuse. I shift the blame to no one. My wife did not make me do it. My kids did not cause me to get angry. My coworker is not responsibility for, responsible for this. But I am. I am. And I need mercy. You know, when we forgive somebody, we're in essence making four promises. Uh, Peacemaker, it's a book here in a ministry. Anybody familiar with this? Ken Sandy? It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I would encourage you to get this book. It's uh, biblical principles on how to resolve personal conflict. And it's very helpful when he says, when we forgive somebody, we're in essence making four promises to them. If I've offended Cade and I come and he forgives me, he is in essence in saying, I forgive you making these four promises. What he's saying is, first, I will not dwell on this incident. It's not going to preoccupy me. I'm not going to be agitated by it. I'm not going to let this uh, ruin my day. I'm not going to allow it to occupy my thoughts and my perceptions, my actions. I'm not going to dwell on this. 
But also, the second promise we make, it says, I will not bring this incident up again or use it against you. As soon as I've released it, I'm not going to use this. I'm not going to keep record of it and hold it against you any longer. I'm not going to file this one away. And so when it happens again, be like, yeah, well, remember that day? Remember that time? No, when we say, I forgive you, say, I'm not going to bring it up again. Third promise is, I will not talk about this incident to others. In other words, when you are, say, I forgive you, you're saying, I'm not going to go out with my friends later and say, well, you know what my wife just did? You know what my husband just did? You know what that person just did? No, I'm not going to bring it up with others. I'm not going to bring it up with the kids. I'm not going to bring it up with my parents. I'm not going to talk to others about it. And last, the promise that says, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. This may be the most difficult. This may be the most difficult. You're saying, I'm not going to let this stand between us. I'm not going to let this be an obstacle any longer, but I forgive you. Now, what forgiveness does not mean, it does not mean, just to be clear here, forgiveness does not mean that we forget the incident. Because that's impossible, isn't it? How can we just move on, like, acting like, oh, this never talks. It's not, it's, we, yes, we're coming and we're acknowledging the incident. We can't forget it. Nor does it mean that there won't be consequences. Let me just make this very clear here. God forgave our sin and Christ bore the consequence. In forgiving somebody does not mean that there will not be consequences or punishment does not mean that justice will not be served. Christ bore our consequences. We too, if there are sin, we, there are real consequences. In an eternal sense, see, either Christ bears your consequences or you do. If you come to Christ, he takes it. If you do not, you bear the punishment through eternity in hell. And I don't just say that flippantly. That's a tragedy. That's why our salvation is a great escape. It's the great good news that we do not have to. And in a horizontal sense, when you forgive somebody, even forgiving somebody of a horrific sin, abuse or, or adultery or murder or, or theft, you can forgive them and still seek justice. They can still go to prison for the crimes that they committed doesn't mean that there aren't consequences but we forgive we forgive without limit see an uncommon forget community forgives without limit because it's what jesus did it's what jesus did hear this great verse that paul reminds us of in ephesians 4 32 he says be kind to one another tender-hearted you know what makes us tender-hearted and kind when we know the enormity of our debt that we have been forgiven of he says, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. See, a common community, a common community is suspicious, is suspicious and fearful. A common community keeps score. A common community holds on to bitterness. A common community demands its right. A common community gets revenge. But an uncommon community forgives readily, graciously, generously, sacrificially. You know, beloved, if forgiveness was the way to fix the greatest broken relationship between God and man, why would we resort to anything else in our earthly, horizontal relationships? See, forgiveness is the way to fix it. Forgiveness is the bridge. Forgiveness is the only way forward in every relationship. This is the gospel's answer.
This is what Christ put on display for us. This is how we live among one another. This is how we invest. This is how we love. This is how we proceed. This is how we endure on the road of forgiveness. And this is what Christ calls us to through communion. In the Lord's table, just as I uh, had mentioned earlier, this is, this is what we remember on an ongoing basis. And so as we, as we come, as we're, as, as we're pondering these things, as our worship for Christ is growing, we're going to now respond as we take communion. So our ushers are going to get prepared. Our worship team is going to come. We'll sing a song uh, that's going to put Christ before us. But I want us to just take a moment I want us to take a moment, and I want us to, to just bow our heads where we're sitting, and I want us to, to, to pray and to, to, to do some business with the Lord, as they say. Maybe it's a, out of a heart of gratitude right now that you just need to come to the Lord and say, God, thank you. I have not told you of my thanks for what you have done on my behalf. Maybe you're coming to the Lord with a heart of confession right now because you realize you're not in Christ. As these things have been put on display, if you've felt the weight of your own sin, you say, yeah, God, I'm the one bearing this. So I confess my sin to you now. Maybe as you've been uh, uh, hearing God's word, reading it, maybe there's somebody that's coming to mind that you're realizing like, wow, I am at odds with this brother or sister. I share salvation. I, I have been, they've been saved. They've been forgiven their massive debt and now I'm holding this debt against them. I need to make this right. What God would be calling you to this morning is to go and make it right. Even as we take communion, just to, to, to let the elements pass, go make it right with that brother or sister and then let me know about it and I'll, I'll come over this afternoon and we can share communion together if you, you don't want to miss it. There'd be, there'd be nothing that would please the Lord more and even myself more than that. And so we don't come to the table perfect. We don't come to communion because we've got it all figured out, do we? That's why we're grateful for it. So why don't you pray with me?